Good morning. You would have to go back to uh, before the Garden of Eden to find a time when mankind did not try to tailor God's divine requirements, His divine instructions to benefit their own selfish agenda. So I'll let you think about that, how long ago that would be. So that's our challenge today, right? Is to live in this human existence while also keeping our eyes on this eternal destination that God has promised for us. And so we have to experience and we have to deal with and we have to be subjected to and we have to enjoy the path of this life. But we do it recognizing that this is just the beginning. This is the beginning of something even greater, something even more marvelous, more wonderful that's promised to us. And so this blessing of life in Christ Jesus is to walk with and walk by His Spirit. And so knowing as we do that, that we're going to share an eternity with Him someday. And so it's what I've called nearsighted living with a farsighted view. It's, it's where we have to focus on today and here and now, but our ultimate goal, our ultimate vision, our farsighted vision is our, our eternal reward. And so we cannot and should not ignore the opportunities that come to us, the obstacles of life today, by living only with our heads in the clouds, right? And so we also cannot and should not allow ourselves to be overcome by the attraction of this present life and all the things that can swell up on us so that our our vision of eternity is blurred and frustrating. And so if you've had any dependence on glasses whatsoever for seeing or reading, you understand the frustration of not having them. Can't find them when you need them or trying to, to read something or see something. And so you strain and you, you squint until finally you just give up in frustration because you're not looking through the correct lens. And so one of the accomplishments of Jesus on this earth is that he effectively put corrective lenses on our vision of God's kingdom. And so through those lenses, we see this stark contrast of life outside of the kingdom rule of God versus life inside the kingdom rule of God. And so Scripture calls this holiness. But in fact, Scripture calls all of this holiness, how God describes life. And so this is a hard word for me to to identify with, holiness. And so if there were two sentences, somebody put two sentences in front of me and and, and said to describe me, and one of them I had to choose. One of them was, I'm a sinner, and the other is, I'm holy, and I could only agree with one of those then it's easier, if I'm being honest, easier for me to identify with, I'm a sinner. Now, the reality is, for those who are baptized into Christ, both of those are true. And so we sin, yes, we disobey God, but in Christ Jesus, we have been made holy. And so it's a hard concept to identify with. It is for me many times. And so what do you think of when you hear the word holy? What comes to mind when you think of holy? Maybe, maybe some people might think of, of a monk, you know, somebody. If you, if you went out and did one of those, was it Jay Leno that went out and did the man on the street, you know, and he would ask these questions and, and try to get responses from people who were completely ignorant about what he was asking. So what if you just went out and asked somebody, what do you think of when, when you hear holy? Maybe somebody would think of, of a monk, of, of seclusion. You know, maybe somebody would think of it's somebody who spends all their time in prayers, all their time reading the Bible, or somebody who's kind of set off by themselves. And, and maybe somebody who's not even connected at all with, with God or involved in, in faith at all. Maybe they might give a, a negative answer. Maybe when you say holy to them, they're thinking, oh, that's holier than thou. I know what that looks like. I've met people like that. Or maybe they're thinking about, you know, somebody who thinks they're better than everyone else. Or maybe they're thinking of a holy roller. 
which, by the way, is our nickname for the church van. We call it the Holy Roller. So if you ever hear this. So anyway, it's unfortunate, though, that such a powerful word can be misconstrued by people. And so what does it mean to be holy? When first Peter, we read that God calls us to become holy as God is holy. Be holy for I am holy. But don't read over what Peter says here. He says, become holy. To become holiness involves this process of change. And so it's a process we go through. And, and being holy, we're called to, to, to separate and to set apart our way of life, our, our thoughts and our, our motives, our intentions, our actions. And some Christians have separated themselves in all the wrong ways. And so we kind of take a, a radical approach. And, and, and so maybe... Maybe even some become, they separate themselves from, from the Christian walk. And so they become so much like culture that they don't even appear Christ-like anymore. And that too is a process, by the way, to get to that point. And so others would say in order to be holy, we've got to separate the sacred from the profane. And so if the people of God are sacred about the things of God, then we need to be separated. We need to remove ourselves from our culture. And so they would set up their own sort of, of a subculture of Christianity in doing that. But in doing so, they're actually creating obstacles. We create barriers for those who are outside of the faith trying to enter this relationship with Jesus Christ. And we can, by doing that, create sort of a, a holy huddle, if you will. And so oftentimes we establish our own set of rules that really have nothing to do with the way that Jesus led life. And so we can end up with a whole list of moral views that we decide what it means to be holy. Don McLaughlin uses a, a, an illustration. Don preaches in um, Georgia. uses an illustration of the example of a funnel. And so the concept is that if, if making disciples, if disciple making is this process of, of moving through the funnel, then the believers should move from this broad understanding of Jesus Christ to a more narrow understanding, a narrow becoming life in Christ. And so as they mature, they become more like Christ, who they have committed their lives to. But where we can go wrong, what we've got to be careful is that as people move along this discipleship funnel, I'm trying not to shape them into the image of me or the image of us. The goal is to become more like Christ, not to become more like Sean. And so there was a group in Jesus' day that actually lived very much this way. They, they read the law and they really tried to follow it. And they were the Pharisees. And so in Luke chapter 18 and verse 9, Jesus tells this parable to some who were confident that they were righteous and they looked down on everyone else. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray and one, is a, one was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And so the Pharisee stood and prayed about himself... Get this. He prayed about himself like this. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, extortionists, unrighteous people, adulterers, or even this tax collector. And I'm wondering, your know, parents, you do this, right? So we tell our kids, close your eyes when you pray. Well, how do we know that their eyes aren't closed? Because ours are open watching them, right? So I can imagine this Pharisee standing there as, he, as he's praying, you know, God, I thank you. I'm not like... Uh, like, you know, 
tax collectors, extortioners. And so he's looking around the room here, right, when he's praying, and he's, he's bringing all these people to mind. He says, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. That's great. He's following the law, right? The tax collector, however, stood far off and would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, sinner that I am. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man went down to his home justified rather than the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And I think a lot of us would say that those who say prayers and those who, who spend much time in the Bible, those who are, are diligent to, 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 to show up at church services, that, that those who give and those who maybe practice some spiritual disciplines, maybe fasting even in their lives, that that would be a holy person. I think we would tend to, to try to label that, right? The Pharisee did all of these things. To a great degree he did. They knew the Scriptures. Pharisees knew the Scriptures. They, they, they prayed the prayers. They, they attended the, the, the services. They fasted. They gave. They did all of these things. And what does Jesus do? Time and time again, He holds them up and He rails on them for the fact that they did not get it. And so this idea of separating ourselves and following the rules doesn't seem to be the essence of holiness. And so there are some believers in who would swing too far the other way, right? And so they say, we need to be just like the world in order to reach the world. And so they would conform to the world in all of its ways, all the wrong ways. And so their lives would be no different than those who are outside of Christ, outside of faith. And so it's like being in a boat. If you're in a boat, if you sit in the water without anchoring, what happens to the boat? It's going to drift with the current, right? It's going to drift with the wake as Mark Goodsell's blowing water out driving by, right? And so currently in society, it's, 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 the, the current in society is powerful as well. And so if we're not anchored, then we're going to drift the direction of the current. But God, God wants us moving His way, not their way. And so without that firm anchor, it's easily able to get out of range of where we need to be living. The path we need to be walking on. And so living in a culture whose value system is, is very different from God's values, if we don't keep our eyes on a fixed object, and that fixed object being the Word of God, the teachings of God, the kingdom reign of God, then we can easily be conformed to our culture and we're going to wind up way off the mark. We're going to wake up one day and say, how did I get here? How did this happen? How, how have I developed this attitude? How have I developed this, this way of seeing the world around me that's so negative, that's so anti-Christ? And so if we're not supposed to separate ourselves so much that we're disconnected from the world, right? We go in the world, but not of the world. Or that, that we're not supposed to assimilate so much that we're just like the world. So what does holy look like then? To be set apart. Well, Scripture gives us an idea of what it looks like. To live a holy life. So, so God is the one who introduced this concept of holiness. And so at, at Mount Sinai, as, as God had, had, had brought the Israelites out of Egypt, he, he introduces himself, if you will, to the Israelites because they were in this transition. I'm 400 years living in Egypt there and, and, and much of the time as slave workers and so surrounded by idols. And now God calls them from this practice of henotheism, which is a term that means we recognize there are multiple gods 
But we only, we only lean towards one of them, right? They accept all these others, but they only lean towards one. Henotheism, God's moving them from that to monotheism. There is only one God, and Him do I serve. And so that's this transition that's having to take place. And so God proclaims Himself as the one true God. And He, he designs this tabernacle, this place of worship for the people to complete. And then He sets these expectations up for the people who He is calling here. He says, here are some boundaries for your life and your worship. And He teaches them about holy living so they can be His holy people. See, holy living, holiness is not about separating. It's about living within God's boundaries, living within the, the, the parameters that He sets. And so these details of His instruction show how important this was to God. What makes me, God says, different from everybody else? In Leviticus 18 and verse 1, He tells them, Speak to the Israelites, Moses, and you tell them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you have been living, and you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, into which I'm about to bring you. You must not walk in their statues. You must observe my regulations and you must be sure to walk in my statutes. I am the Lord your God. So you must keep my statutes and my regulations and anyone who does so will live by keeping them. I am the Lord. And so holiness is the character of God. It's who he is. God is holy. And so if, if we're going to live our lives in the image of God, which is who we were created to be, then our character has to be marked by holiness. Holiness is God's identity. It must become our identity also. And so set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you when Christ is revealed. Peter says, set your hope fully, completely. And maybe that's the most challenging part of, of, of his words for me, fully. Set your hope fully. Because in my heart, I want to do that. I want to set my heart fully on this. But when I'm honest with myself, I do, in fact, set my hope on Christ Jesus. But I also hope that my 401k, my retirement fund grows. Right? I always also hope that, also hope that my company doesn't go bankrupt that I work for. I also want people to like me. I set my hope on Jesus, but I want to be liked. I want friends, right? And so I probably hope in a lot of other things that have no lasting value. And perhaps you don't struggle with that as much as I do, but what God calls us to do is to set our hope fully, completely. All of who I am is really wrapped up in this idea of my relationship with God. And so it's to, to set our hope on the grace given to us. Not to set my hope on my own ability to follow some rules. Because frankly, I don't have a very good ability to follow rules. I don't do a good job at it. I'm not a very holy person when it comes to following the rules in and of itself. And in and of myself. But I can set my hope on the grace that's given to me. And so I am a sinner. And I, and I have been ushered into this relationship with the Creator. He invites me in. A Creator who can help me live the way He intends for me to live. He hasn't left me to my own figure this out. And so that, that does not set me apart from everyone else who is out there desperately in need of God's grace. Except for the fact that my identity is wrapped up in God. So we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When we accept Jesus Christ and His reign and His rule for our life, His will for our life. And God's grace and mercy 
will just overflow. And so my identity wrapped up in God. But he goes on to say, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own, so that you may proclaim the virtues of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You once were not a people, but now you are God's people. You were shown no mercy, but now you have received mercy. So part of what it means to have our identity wrapped up in this idea of being one of God's children is that we are part now of a group of people. We are part of a family, not just an individual. We are, we are a collection, right? And so perhaps American evangelical Christianity has focused too much on the individual, too much on me. You know, me and Jesus got our own thing going, right? I asked Jesus into my life as my personal Savior. Now, that's an important question to answer. Is Jesus your personal Savior? That's an important question. But our relationship with God is not strictly vertical. It's also horizontal, right? We are part of of a people of God, and part of our identity is to be connected relationally to each other. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians that we are the body of Christ. He, He uses this illustration of the body. We work together. The hand can't say to the eye, well, I don't need you. I can't say to the hand, well, I don't need you either, right? So we are meant to need each other. We are meant to work together, connected to one another. And that connection comes through Jesus Christ. God has always been about relationship, about community. And so while our citizenship is, yes, it's currently here on earth, it's not of this earth, right? And so our citizenship is in heaven. But that does not separate us from relationships with other people. It doesn't divorce us from that. We are called to have a separate character. And so this world is easy for us to conform to. It's easy to drift along with culture. But God calls us to have a separate value system. It's His value system. Different than what those outside of Christ would would establish and and live by. So the world's value system says, look out for yourself. You look out for number one, because if you don't look out for yourself, nobody else is going to. And it says also that very often we are to to use people and to love things. That's the value system outside of God's kingdom. God's value system is you love people and you share things. Big difference there, right? And so Jesus summed it all up for this inquisitive lawyer who had come to him and, and asked him this question. And he says, teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Matthew 22. And Jesus said to him, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. And so the entire Bible, the entire counsel of God's word can be summed up in those two commands. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. God's value system is about relationships. The primary relationship is between us and God. And then alongside of that is me and you. You and me. It's us. Relationship. So how can you truly love people and not relate to them? You know, if I said to Tressa, honey, I love you. But, but I'm not going to spend any time with you. How do you think she would feel? <laughs> Some days she might feel pretty good about that, right? But, you know, I think on most part, I hope, you know, she's, she's out of town today, so we'll, we'll ask her when she gets back. But I think in a greater sense, she would find that unfulfilling. Be unfulfilling. We can't love one another and be disconnected 
from one another. It all comes down to relational terms. Relational terms. It's God's value system. It's all about relationships. And while many believers lean towards holiness and character as being about following the rules, that's what holiness and character is. Not about relationships. The interesting thing is that in many cases we actually create this different list of rules or we create this hierarchy of rules and we might say not, but sometimes we allow ourselves to believe that some sins are worse than others so that people who struggle with certain sins, we have difficulty extending grace to them because that's a really bad sin. But people who struggle with other sins... Kind of warmly accepted. Somebody who's struggling with homosexuality can find it hard to find grace among the people of God and love and connection. But an unrepentant gossip? Well, I want to know what they have to say. See, we can put things in different categories. We can create distinctions that are not God's distinctions. They're our distinctions. And so Jesus was like us in every way, yet without sin. And who did Jesus spend time with? Everybody. All kinds of people, right? See, the Pharisee thought that they were doing all they could do to follow the rules. And Jesus railed on them time and time again. And yet Jesus spent time with, with prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners. And he was accused of being a glutton. He was accused of being a drunkard. He was guilty by association. And so the people that Jesus spent time with would not be classified as Church people. They're not church people. Religious people were appalled at the fact that Jesus would even spend spend time with these folks, even do so much as stop to speak to somebody like that. Because they thought that unholiness could be transferred just in proximity. They thought that Jesus must be unfaithful himself. He must be unholy. Look who he's hanging around. Well, Jesus is our model for holiness then shouldn't our character be, be one marked by, by, by relationship and not regulation, just like His was? So loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And loving our neighbor as ourselves. God doesn't expect, nor do I think He wants us to be a hologram in this world. You know what a hologram is, right? If you're a, a Star Wars fan, you've seen a lot of holograms. You know, it's a projected image, right, of something. It's not the real image, it's just a projection of it. And so, we are to be not a hologram, we are to be a holygram, right? Holygram, I coined the word today. It's a projection of holiness, but it's made real through relationships. Made real through relationships. So God expected the Israelites to be holy. He expected them to act and to speak and to to, to make their, their priority, this portrayal of holiness. It needed to show up in their lives, because God their Father is holy, right? Be holy because I am holy, God said. But they're human too. And as a group, they couldn't do it. They <laughs> couldn't consistently do it, that's for sure. And they couldn't persistently perform these required acts of holiness that were, that were prescribed under the law. And guess what? God was not caught off guard. God was not surprised by this, because His ultimate plan was not to prescribe holiness as a pattern to follow. His ultimate plan has always been to inscribe holiness on the hearts 
of those who believe in him by the power of his Holy Spirit. And so when we submit to God's will, when we lay our own down and we submit to his and we acknowledge his his divine plan to once again have the dwelling place of God reside among mankind, when we do that, then we can fully enjoy this relationship that's been intended before the foundations of the earth. A relationship that's going to endure for eternity. And a relationship that we can begin to know, begin to realize now in His kingdom come. So this morning, maybe at one point in time, you thought you were living a holy life. But as you examine it, you realize it's far from, it's far from the image of Christ. Because of an attitude maybe that you have. Maybe it's, maybe it's a relationship. And you're not in that relationship to, to be a good example. You're in a relationship and find yourself, you're the one being influenced. Maybe there's a sin that you're harboring in your heart. Maybe it's towards someone else. It's keeping the beauty of Christ from being seen in you. God calls us to repent of that. See, the kingdom of God, the kingdom reign of God is about the beauty of repentance. Repentance is not shame. Repentance is God's love. He gives us the, the opportunity, the blessing, the gift of repentance. We can change. And He helps us do that. And when we ask for forgiveness for our, the way we have sinned against Him, God gives us that forgiveness freely and lovingly. And that's hard for us to understand because we struggle with that, doing that for one another. But God is above and beyond us. And yet He is right here with us. And He was with us in the flesh. His, His Son Christ put on this human existence. He came here and He struggled in the same ways that we do was tempted in all things, just as we are, yet He did not sin. And because of that, God accepts Him as our sacrifice. Our, he paid the penalty for us because we sin. And Christ went to that cross for us and in obedience to God the Father. And as His breath left Him, He breathed new life into us. God raised Him up from that tomb to be Lord of all creation for all eternity. And in doing that, the invitation, the doors were swung open into the kingdom of God. This morning, if you're ready to become a resident of God's kingdom, His kingdom eternal and His kingdom come now, Christ invites you to be baptized into Him for the forgiveness of your sins. Receive the gift of God's Spirit, the promise of that eternal citizenship. And so this morning as we stand and sing a, a song of encouragement, if we can help you any way in your walk with Christ and your obedience, will you come?